Dollarsandcents.com back with some more podcasts on the Dollars and Cents show. You will be listening to a four-part podcast series that are excerpts from a talk I did at the Indiana Association of Home Educators Leaders Retreat. The uh, Indiana Statewide Organization holds an annual retreat, just a day long, usually just a, a middle of a day retreat for their support group, homeschool co-op, and any kind of homeschool leader. And they invited me to talk to them uh, recently. And so I entitled my talk, What Are Homeschool Leaders Thinking About? Because I thought that might be interesting for leaders in Indiana to hear about what other leaders across the country are contacting me at my website or what I'm hearing in phone calls and what I'm hearing when I visit different states. So the uh, four podcasts focus on how homeschooling is changing and the lines between homeschooling or running micro schools or running, you know, private schools are blurring and what we should be doing about that as homeschool leaders The second podcast in the four-part podcast is going to be about the relationships that homeschool organizations have with their churches. Some homeschool groups are having a hard time getting churches to host them, and I spent a little time talking about that. There is an episode in this four-part series about tax-exempt status, what you need to get it, and how you maintain it, and maybe when you don't need it. And then finally, a very timely topic that I'm getting asked a lot of questions about that is uh, paying volunteers and paying teachers in your homeschool co-op. So uh, to find the other podcasts, uh, you can go to my website, homeschoolcpa.com slash podcast. And then you can find podcasts like this one that you can listen to to get helpful information for you as a homeschool group leader. I hope these podcasts are helpful to you. Understand I'm talking to a live audience, so the audio quality can be a little uh, variable. Sometimes the there are questions coming from the leaders, and the volume may, may dip a little bit. But um, I hope you can still get a lot of helpful information and encouragement from this podcast given at the Indiana Association of Home Educators Leaders Retreat. Okay, I get a lot of questions about tax-exempt status. I'm not going to camp out here unless you need to, but it might involve, you know, a a little more time either during the break or a phone call with me or something like that. But I want to be clear on some things. It's kind of buried in the IRS code, and you kind of got to find it, and you guys don't want to spend any time reading IRS code. I don't want to spend any time reading IRS code, but I've gone to a few IRS workshops, and I found out that there are times when you can, quote, self-declare that you are tax-exempt. And, and, and this is all on your handout, but here's the pictures. If your organization is tiny, meaning you bring in less than $5,000 of gross revenues in a year, I'll explain that. So if your group is very tiny and you bring in less than $5,000, you can just stand up and say, we are tax exempt. Okay, you don't have to officially apply for that status with the IRS. The other one is if you fit the criteria to be a 501c7 social club, that's most of our support groups. You have some common interest, meaning homeschooling, you, you get your, your income from membership fees, you have face-to-face interaction. Those are the criteria to become a 501c7 social club. Social clubs are automatically tax-exempt. You don't have to fill out the form and pay the IRS fee. You can just say, we are tax-exempt. Woohoo! And this is what support groups were doing for many, many, many years and not realizing they were doing it. But that's 
how, it, how we would fit uh, our support groups within the IRS definitions of tax exempt. And the third one is if you are in the ministry of a church. Are any of your groups the ministry, not just meeting there, but the true ministry of the church? Meaning you didn't have to get your own tax ID number, your bank accounts with them, anybody? You, that's it? One hand goes up. You see that? Churches, by, God bless your church. It was hard to get them to take you on. Gosh, it was hard to keep it, keep them happy. Yes, more and more churches are less. They're willing to say, maybe I'll rent you space, but I don't want you coming underneath my tax exempt umbrella or using my bank account or things like that. So it's it's much more rare to find churches that will take homeschool groups under their ministry. Okay, but these three groups at least can self-declare tax exempt status. Yes, ma'am. If you self-declare, yep. does that give you the right to purchase supplies tax-exempt? Okay, she says if you self-declare your tax-exempt status, can I purchase things sales tax-free? <gasps> There's so many taxes in the world. I was talking about federal income tax. You're talking about state sales tax. So the answer is it depends. <laughs> Sorry. It depends on your state rules and who they give sales tax exemption to. Okay. The difficulty, let's pretend you're the first little kind, a very small co-op. Bring in less than $5,000 a year, and I'll talk about that in the next slide. Let's pretend you're a tiny co-op, okay? And you are self-declaring your tax-exempt status with the IRS, fine. But you have no proof because you didn't apply and you didn't get the nice letter from the IRS saying you're tax-exempt. So you have nothing to show the state of Indiana to prove you're tax-exempt with the IRS. The state of Indiana wants to see proof that the IRS gave you tax-exempt status and you don't have it. So no, you probably cannot buy things sales tax-exempt in the state of Indiana unless you can prove it to the state with the IRS letter. That was a long answer to a short question, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so this is a question. Oh, and I understand accounting terms are so confusing, aren't they? They're, they're just confusing. The IRS uses a threshold for lots of things, and they call it gross revenues. So I'm on the phone the other day with a lady, and I'm explaining this, $5,000 of gross revenues. And she says, oh, Carol, we're okay. We've never had more than $5,000 in the bank. That's not what I said. I said gross, meaning all, revenues. Revenues are like sales, money coming in. She was telling me how much money was in the bank, which is her assets. That's not the threshold the IRS uses. And then she says, well, it's okay because we never have any money left over at the end of the year. Our pockets are empty. We spend everything that we bring in. And I said, well, you know how in your personal life, you have to report on your personal income tax, the W-2, your gross income. You don't get to say to the IRS, well, IRS, there's nothing left at the end of the year. <laughs> it's the same thing with nonprofits. All the thresholds the IRS uses are based on gross revenues, and that's all the money you bring in, even if it's for field trips and goes right back out. If it came into your bank account, it's yours. You've got to count it. So I know there's a lot of confusion about that. And I have heard everything under the sun, honestly. Well, I thought if it was less than 25000 and, and all these thresholds that they're confused, and I understand it's confusing, so I'm hoping to give you a little clarity there. Yes, ma'am. And ma then we would not count the teachers that are being paid directly from the parents for upper-level classes. 
very good point. She says, in our gross revenues, we don't count the teachers because the teachers are being paid directly by the parents. Didn't come into your group's checking account. Didn't touch your group's hands. No, it's not your money. It was the teacher's money. Very good point. Any other questions about that? Yes. And, and so Tara, just for the recording and for those of you who maybe couldn't hear her, she was running the yearbook class, so she took cash when she sold yearbooks. She ran it into her personal checking account and then wrote a personal check to the yearbook company. Okay, the CPAMA doesn't like that, okay, because we don't like people dealing with cash. It's too easy to embezzle it, not that you would, Tara. Okay, but it's just, you know, there's less accountability with cash, so we like it when those deposits would have gone into the group and the group would have officially written the check. So in general, I just, I would strongly discourage that. It's field trips on the spot, a little differently, right? Okay, a little different, okay. Okay, so I told you the kind of groups that can self-declare tax-exempt status, okay? That might fit some of your groups, very tiny, or your support group or you're in the ministry of a church, that, that means though that you, can, you don't have to officially apply to the IRS for tax exempt status, but you must maintain your tax exempt status by telling the IRS every year we're still alive. Meaning you have to file an annual report with the IRS. If you don't, it's called the form, let me back up. It's called the Form 990-N or 990-EZ or Full 990. And there are three different versions based on, the IRS loves that threshold again, gross revenues. If your gross revenues are less than $50,000 a year, and that's probably 90% of homeschool groups out there, less than $50,000 a year, you file one form each year with the IRS to maintain your tax-exempt status. 990N. It's called the electronic postcard. You do it at irs.gov. It's eight questions. Take you five minutes. Okay. Not too bad. Not too bad. But I probably two or three times a month I get an email from a from a leader who said, I opened my group ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. I got an employee identification number, never did anything else with the IRS. She did not file her tax. Ex she did not file for tax exempt status either because she didn't know, or she was below that five thousand dollar threshold. She didn't have to. Now maybe she's above it. Or okay, if you don't file this form for three years in a row, if, in other words, if you miss three years in a row, three strikes, the IRS thinks your group has died, and it is dead because they haven't heard from you in three years. So they just automatically revoke your tax exempt status. What does that mean? What does that mean if you don't have tax-exempt status with the IRS? What does that mean? You have to pay taxes. That's right. Now, what form would you pull out to pay taxes on? Personal income tax? No, it's not your personal business. A nonprofit? Well, you're not tax exempt. Maybe you're a corporation and you pay corporate tax. Maybe you would default to, you know what the default is, John? Partnership. Partnership. So anyway, it gets complicated. I don't want to confuse you with that stuff, but what I'm saying is tax exempt status is not automatic. You can self-declare it, but you've got to maintain it by filing these 990Ns. If your group hasn't been doing that, or if you're not sure if they've been doing that, you can look it up. Uh, there's a 
there's a website called IRS Select Check. I don't think I put that on your paper, so you might want to write that down. You look up your group's name, better to use your employer identification number, look up and see if you're in the IRS database. If you're not, we can talk about it. Question here and then you, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. Any, any supplies brought in are done uh, as a donation. Um, okay. And then a donation to the church for not paying, not charging rent. Lovely situation. She's describing uh, a, a very simple, small, cash based, 12, small 12 families gathering together to maybe hold some classes. Right, nobody earns, nobody's paid, you just pool your money. I compare that to a bunch, 12 families going out to eat. And the, and the waitress puts one check in the middle. And you all contribute to the kitty to pay for the meal. That's what I compare that to. That's, in essence, what you're doing. The IRS basically says you should not be any worse off because you collectively pooled your money for a common group purpose, uh, the meal at a restaurant. Okay, you're fine. You're fine. And the reason you're fine is because you didn't need an employer identification number. You never opened up a checking account. As soon as you have to open up a checking account and get the employer identification number from the IRS, you all of a sudden have these other obligations to report your self-declared tax-exempt status and maintain it. Okay. So I never used to like to say this, but times are changing, right? I never used to like to say, oh, just run in cash. The CPA me, I just told you a minute ago, right? We don't like things running cash. But I started saying to groups, if you can run in cash, keep doing it. And I don't like saying that as a CPA to you because we don't like cash, <laughs> you know, no, no accountability. But if your group can operate that way, very simple, pooling your money, cash, it's when you need the checking account that you're going to all of a sudden have some extra other dealings with the IRS. Now, now everybody writes a check, to, but it's to the church. That's, That's fine. Check, right? That's okay. Your group doesn't really have, you would be what would be called an unincorporated association. You probably don't even have bylaws or anything, do you? You're just a group of parents. You're just a group of parents. You're just a group of friends who gather together. Yeah, it's very hard to keep something like that. And you probably have to keep it secret from other people, don't you? Like, you don't tell other people because you don't want to get too big. As soon as you get too big, you got to have a checking account. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing some of the questions and my replies to the homeschool leaders given there at the Indiana Association of Home Educators Leaders Retreat. Hey, I hope your state organization is supporting you by offering leader gatherings like this, maybe in conjunction with your statewide homeschool convention or separately like Indiana does. But, you know, you could put something together yourself and you can invite me to, to come and talk to homeschool leaders in your area. I'm, I'm flying out to Kansas in a few days to talk to leaders in Wichita. Uh, but, you know, if you can't afford that, then maybe something like a, a virtual visit, a, a conference, a telephone conference call, or, a, you know, a Skype visit might be just what you want to bring helpful information like this to your leaders in your local area. So please contact me, Carol at Homeschool CPA, if I can be of some assistance to your homeschool leaders, and maybe we could set something up that's affordable and helpful to your leaders. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.